Hello, my name is Micah Solomon. I'm the author of Ignore Your Customers and They'll Go Away. And you're listening to my quest for the best with the legendary Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Micah Solomon. Micah is a consultant, keynote speaker, trainer, and customer service turnaround specialist. He's a senior contributor to Forbes.com, and his articles have appeared in the New York Times, Harvard Business Review, Inc., ABC, CBS, and NBC, among other places. Mike is here to discuss topics from his book, Ignore Your Customers and They'll Go Away, the simple playbook for delivering ultimate customer service experience. He's based in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, Micah. Well, thank you so much, Bill. It's great to have you here. And a question I like to start off with is, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Sonny Jurgensen, the quarterback of the Redskins. I was convinced I was going to be a uh, football player when I grew up. And what about him caught your interest and inspired you? Well, he was so good at passing, which was the only thing I could do right. I I wasn't big enough or strong enough for any of the other things that you realistically need as a football player. So that's what inspired me. That's interesting. So that you saw that if you could specialize in a particular skill, you had a shot at doing something really cool, like being a professional football player, just on the passing skills alone. Well, that was my fantasy, yeah. at least. Yeah, that's my fantasy. It's interesting because that type of focus often leads to, you know, our heroes often lead to interesting choices that we make. And being able to refer back to him and saying, you know what, he was someone who I looked up to as someone growing up is a, a pretty interesting reference point. Oh, yeah, that is. And I haven't thought about this for years. So that's, that's cool. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> now, in terms of customer service, what does top-level customer experience look like, and why is it so rare in today's marketplace? Uh, well, a couple of things. I, I think that customer service has actually, by all measures, all objective measures, has improved dramatically over the years. We just don't notice it because our expectations have grown as quickly. But a lot of that improvement, as you point out, is in what I would call satisfactory customer service. So satisfactory customer service is excellent. It's when you provide a functioning product, you have nice people provide it, you deliver it on time. But that's really not enough to keep you from being a commodity. You're still going to be a commodity. Someone could be served satisfactorily by your company, I don't know, 10 times. And they still will think of you as a commodity and they're willing to switch when the opportunity comes up. To move it into what I would call exceptional customer service or what you call top line customer service, you need another element. And the other elements is usually what I would call anticipatory customer service. This is where you're getting so close to the customer that you're actually able to provide them with what they're hoping for even before they ask for it. Maybe they would never ask for it, and yet you can still provide it. Why wouldn't they ask? They might not understand the many things you offer for them. They may. There are, believe it or not, customers like this who don't want to be a bother and so forth. But you're providing this. You're taking care of them 
even before they have to voice their desire. So that's anticipatory customer service. And most companies don't know about the goal of providing that, let alone how to go about it. Can you give an example of a company that provides anticipatory customer service and what that practically looks like? Well, when I go into Nordstrom, my salesperson is named Joanne Hassis, and that's her real name, H-A-S-S-I-S. She's right near you. She's at King of Prussia Mall, believe it or not, Bill. So uh, just outside of Philadelphia, Joanne Hassis, highly recommended. So I'll go in there and I will think that I need this and that, but number one, she'll gently tell me if I'm wrong. And more gently, let me say, than my uh, 18-year-old daughter, I saw a really nice sports jacket on the Nordstrom site. And I said, uh, do you think this looks nice? And my daughter said, well, on him. (laughs) 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 So, um, As only a teenage daughter can say. (laughs) Exactly. So Joanne's more diplomatic than that, at least with her customers, which is fine. You don't have to be diplomatic with your dad, but you do need to be with your customers. So number one, I mean, I say, oh, I want this and that, but she knows what I really want is to look good, right? So she'll gently guide me the other way. And I trust her to tell me if we shouldn't be wearing, we, I mean, all the people who want to look good, shouldn't be wearing brown shoes this season. I don't know from colors of shoes, but she'll let me know. So she is answering the question that was never asked, which is, what do I really need to wear to look good or as good as possible? So some of the elements that I hear you talking about is that they're listening deeply to what is both spoken and unspoken. She's built trust with you. And then she's providing expert guidance along the process in order to make it a win-win outcome. It's not just looking for you to buy the most ridiculously expensive jacket. She wants you to buy a jacket that's going to make you look good so that you refer others to her and you continue to come back. Yeah, and I can show my 18-year-old daughter I have a, I actually am slightly respectable. Absolutely, that's exactly right. Now, I can actually give you another one or two principles we can learn from Nordstrom because I had I'd forgotten that, that they were local to you. So is that okay? Please. So Nordstrom also is one of the companies that provides a, that, lives a principle that I have a whole chapter on in my book, ignore your customers and they'll go away. And this principle is automatic positivity, or maybe more fun way to put it is having a default of yes. So in a great customer experience, everyone who works there is primed to say yes. The answer is going to be yes. We just have to find out what the customer's question is. And I think if you walk into a Nordstrom, you will get this feeling. Like you walk in there and you're going to have two impressions. Number one, boy, I'm going to pay a lot for this suit because the place is so beautiful and the merchandise is, I don't know if you know that, you probably have noticed this, Bill, but if you want to make your store look like it's a bargain, you put the racks closer together. Well, the racks aren't closer together at Nordstrom. They're nicely spaced out. There's plenty of room for everything. So number one, it might be expensive. But number two, all these shining people standing there smiling, are wanting to say yes to me. That is their goal. They just have to find out what I'm looking for. And to give you an extraordinary example of this default of yes, I used to buy these button-down short sleeve shirts. Uh, I guess I fancied myself working at NASA or something. No, these are uh, these aren't the white ones that you see in the in the uh, movies about about the moon launch. But like Apollo are, 13, <laughs> exactly. with Tom Hanks. <laughs> these are, 
Exactly. These do have the button, so I could, I guess, put a pocket protector in there. They don't have anywhere special for my slide rule, but these are actually somewhat nicer, fashionable button-down short sleeve shirts. I always bought them from Nordstrom. Well, fashionable went out of business, or at least dramatically cut down their offerings in the kind of shirts that Micah wanted to buy. So I asked Joanne about it, and she looked into it, and she literally could not provide those anymore. So what did she do? She didn't try to convince me to wear something I wouldn't like. She found relatively similar. I mean, not the, unfortunately, they're not the same, but relatively similar shirts for me on a competitor's website. So she wasn't making a sale through this, but I would buy my short sleeve shirts from them and I buy everything else from Joanne. So she got to yes, even though it didn't make you know, even a penny for her that day. Now, an important part of getting to yes is that leadership needs to applaud employees when they do this. They don't, I mean, if they over, if, if they, one of the Nordstrom, if like one of the Nordstrom brothers. Before we get even to applauding, mm. I think a lot of small business leaders are listening to this and saying, well, wait a second. It takes more to hire people who are sharp and caring and mm. so forth. And, and they'll want to be compensated better. It mm. takes more to train them and keep them appraised of what our stocks are and what inventory we have, and to allow them to make time to search websites and do other extra activities other than just bringing people from the, the aisles with the armfuls of clothes mm. over to the cash register. Isn't customer service at this level more expensive? And I'm setting this up for you, and you know why. <laughs> well, I can't disagree that uh, with it that it may be more expensive. I mean, you do want to pay people do want to pay people well, so the good ones will stick around. The, a lot of it, though, is in hiring in a smart way, which isn't necessarily more expensive, and it's in inspiring people from the time they get there. But what you're saying is true. You can't provide extraordinary customer service, at least not consistently, unless you build in what I call breathing space. So Joanne had to t have the time available to, well, number one, risk missing. She could have been spending more time on making her quota for that month, right? But she had to take the time to look all of this up and so forth. So Nordstrom has to have a little more of what I call breathing space, where they're somewhat even maybe overstaffed, so to speak. They're not cutting things right down to the bone. So I agree that can be more expensive. But a lot of this is using what's ironically called common sense. So if you, in, if you realize you're going to have to pay your payroll anyway, then invest in those people, train them better, onboard them to your purpose, which is important to have a well-stated statement of purpose that everyone in the company knows, and then try to infuse that into everything you do. The benefit that many people recognize or perhaps expect is that by doing so, they're going to have more loyalty. Customers are going to come back and they're going to think about them and they're going to refer others to come there. You and I both know from shopping at Nordstrom's the excellent experience you get there. People who have never had that experience might be listening to this now and saying, you know what, maybe I'll try it out. Maybe I'll, I'll visit a Nordstrom's because, you know, I don't want to go just where the sales are. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other things that small business leaders in a variety of different professional services, small manufacturers, different high-tech industries can also attribute excellent customer experience with. Let's just take opening a package 
that you get from someone online and they send you a package. Doesn't it make a difference whether that package is easy to open, whether materials are recyclable? Is this the thinking that some companies are using that want to differentiate themselves in a positive way among today's consumers? Well, that's a smart one, actually. And Brooks Brothers, actually, their packages are beautiful. I mean, I would buy something from them just just to see how they package it. There is a blue and white ribbon that's wrapped around it, and that's really wonderful. We all have this problem of commoditization if if we sell through Amazon. I don't know how many of your customers are in that in that situation, but Amazon wants you to be a commodity because they just want to replace you with, with someone else if the situation makes that more advantageous to Amazon. But if we're not in that situation, we want to look for these opportunities to decommoditize our operation, to make connections with the customer. When so much technology is in use, so much self-service, then you should really, your, you, your company, your leadership, your frontline employees should really be embracing those few moments that are left to us where we have a chance to provide exceptional customer on customer, I mean, uh, human on human service. And yeah, especially wrapping a package, that is actually one. I got an incredible one two days ago from this company called the Killer Brownie Company. And it was amazing. Not only did they have a great name, right? When my wife saw the sticker on the box, she's like, hey, I think you got to come home. I got to open this. <laughs> but right. But they had a great name. And then you open it and it's this beautiful, slightly retro blue tin. The color is like a, it's like, I don't know, the convertible that Catwoman would drive. It's one of those great classic colors. And everything is just perfect about it. So they knew they weren't necessarily going to have a chance to interact with me in person, but they let their spirit be infused through the packaging. One example I give in the book is how Zappos tries to inf- tries to make a bond with every customer on the phone. So when you hear that, you're like, well, that's cool. But then you think, but, but Zappos isn't really a, they're not really a sell by phone operation. They are an e-commerce company. If they weren't, Amazon wouldn't buy them and the acquisition wouldn't have gone so seamlessly. They are an e-commerce company, an extremely small amount of the shoes and apparel that Zappos sells are sold over the phone. Nonetheless, Zappos thinks that the very few times that customers call them on the phone are their best marketing opportunity. So they try to make each one of those extraordinary. And while you hear these ridiculous stories about the Zappos 10-hour phone call. And it is, it's pretty silly, except as a flag raised high to show their employees what they are empowered to do. These shorter calls, which are maybe 12 minutes, right, instead of 10 hours, which is what, 600 minutes? So uh, 12 minutes still can give them enough of an opportunity to bond. So the example I give in the book is a woman named Madison who works in the Zappos contact center, which they call the Zappos customer loyalty team. And she's on the phone with this older woman who has tried to order online by herself, but she has narrow feet and it just isn't working out for her. And she's really unhappy. She wants to have the right shoes, dressy shoes to go to her daughter's or maybe her granddaughter's wedding upcoming. And she just can't find the right one. So Madison bonds over this right away. She says, Oh, ma'am, I don't, forgot what her name is. And if, I, if I knew it, I don't think I could say it. But, oh, Mrs. Smith, 
aren't Narrows the worst? I have an aunt with narrow feet, and I swear every other phone call we have, we end up discussing the challenges of having narrow feet. And of course, they immediately bond. And then Madison's able to work with her on the website to get some shoes that at least have some potential to not be a torture experience at the wedding. So that's a great example of using that as an opportunity. And every small business owner and leader listening can kind of make an inventory of all the customer touch points and Mm. find out, is this at the level that we think is differentiating ourselves in the way that's consistent with our strategy and our values and our market opportunity? Oh, exactly. One of the phrases that you use in the book avoids using the the all too common over-promise and under-deliver. Instead, you use the phrase, the cliff of dissatisfaction to raise the importance of a great customer experience. Oh, the cliff of dissatisfaction is specifically about not under-delivering when it comes to timeliness. This is one of those key elements of at least a successful customer experience is timeliness. So customers, if you don't deliver on the timeline they're expecting, are going to lose faith that you can ever serve them right. So it's a very, it is a very, the cliff of dissatisfaction is a very important principle. Nordstrom has an internal metric for what they consider the, the cliff of dissatisfaction in their business. And it's uh, it's a closely held metric. I don't know what it is, but it's a couple of minutes from getting in the store until ordering and then a few more minutes from there until getting your drink. Like, how does a company like Starbucks or other companies deal with the cliff of dissatisfaction when they've not met customers' expectations in terms of timeliness? Well, in the case of Starbucks, they do a couple things. If they see that they can't serve you quickly enough, they'll come out in the line and ask if they can get something started for you or give you a sample. They do clever merchandising. It's eye candy, whether or not you're ever going to buy one of their espresso makers. And you know, my in-laws bought one and uh, they they called us and they, they were calling us and they were saying, the first espresso cost them, I think as they figured out on the amortization, it was like $198. Then they called with the second one and it was less than that and so forth. So not everyone buys or should buy one of the espresso makers, but still it's eye candy to make the wait seem a little shorter. But ultimately, Bill, what, and this is a little bit of a trick question, but if the Starbucks on one corner on a block is consistently disappointing customers as far as timeliness because the lines are too long. Bill, what what does Nordstrom do? Well, I think what you're asking is what Starbucks would do, right? I think, and Bill, this is a little bit of a trick question, but ultimately, if Starbucks is unable to please customers as far as timeliness at one store, if the lines are just out the door all the time at that one store on the one corner on the block, Bill, what does Nordstrom, what does Starbucks ultimately do? Well, they see it as an opportunity to open another store nearby. Exactly. Probably on the other corner. Living here uh, in the Seattle area, I have actually seen the Starbucks. I've seen office buildings with several Starbucks in them. And I've been to the Starbucks headquarters where they have a Starbucks. So I like to think of that one as a Starbucks within the Starbucks. So there's always opportunity to expand. For the rest of us, for we mere mortals, how do we work? with customers when we can't go any faster. Well, number one, try to go faster if that's what's called for. Try to have sufficient staffing, try to speed up your shipping uh, operation and so forth. But if you can't, there are many ways that you can control customer expectations and give them this feeling of timeliness 
Anyway, here's one. Now, I expect that most people listening to this do not want to go to 24-7 staffing because that's just exhausting and expensive. Yet it might be what's called for because you're working in multiple time zones. It really might be called for. So what can you do instead? Well, you can put in what I call a my account, what's called a my account function. And this is something that customers really appreciate in most industries. For USAA, which is a great insurance and banking organization that I cover in the book, they have a my account. So when I got, uh, you're in the Philadelphia area, the greater Philadelphia area. So you'll relate to this. I was in suburban Philly and I got rear-ended by a driver from New Jersey, which is rather, <laughs> ra- right? It's rather the, the common, Convention apparently. Visitors Bureau of both states, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I call USAA and the young woman who answered the phone, she said, it was a Jersey driver, wasn't it? I said, how did you know that? She said, oh, we know. <laughs> We know about Jersey drivers. So be that as it may, it was clearly not my fault. And I feel sorry for the guy who it was because it was icy. It wasn't really his fault either. But it's a great story that he is actually from New Jersey. So USAA had to wait for day after day. In fact, I think it became week after week for the New Jersey insurance company to contact USAA and accept the responsibility for this. So for all those weeks, I could be frustrated thinking, wow, USAA is not getting back to me. Why aren't they getting back to me? But instead, I could go to the USAA My Account page on their website, which I recommend most of your listeners install My Account type functionality. And 24-7, I could go and check and it would say, you know, essentially no progress. It would say awaiting opposing insurance company, awaiting imposing insurance company. That was the actual exact wording. Now, after a few days, I might want to call my person there at USAA and see if anything could be done, but I didn't have to be calling her in the middle of the night. I could, in the middle of the night, see for myself why there wasn't all that much timeliness going on. So that managing expectations of customers for timeliness is very important. Another completely non-technology-driven way you can manage customers is say I got a voicemail on my office phone and it said, let's say it's from an internal customer, another department, and it said, hey, Micah, in whatever it is, operations, uh, I need a report on blah, blah, blah. Thanks. So I get this voicemail the next morning. I think, oh, you know, that's going to take me about a week to get together. But I don't call the person back. I just start working on it slowly but surely. And after a few days, the person who called me is going to be getting irritated. They will think that I'm ignoring them. Well, they don't have to be thinking that. What I should have done is I should have called them back and I should have said, hello, person from the other department. Thanks. I am happy to do that report for you. It's going to take me five days. Does that work for you? And they'll say, okay, that's great. So maybe I'll get it done in four days. And that way I'm actually, as the cliche goes, I'm actually exceeding expectations but their expectations I set myself for timeliness. That's right. And you participate in the process rather than just let it mm. default. Exactly. Micah, here's a question about the way that some companies measure things. Like we were talking about Starbucks before, and we said that they have two important measures. One is the time between when they walk through the door and they place their order. And from the time they place their order to when they start to sip something and enjoy some of their offerings. Mm, yes. How do they measure that? And what's a technique we might be able to learn 
in order to make these kinds of observations in our own businesses? Well, they're using uh, you know the eye in the sky that they have in the store, so they can play back the tapes. You know, just just like a pro football coach would, right? They play back the tapes and they see what's going on. For the rest of us, I think that might be a little extreme, but we have a lot of this data in our systems if we just start paying attention to it. I think there's always opportunities to learn more. Just make sure the harder part really than the measuring is deciding what to measure. And that may require doing some surveys of your customers to figure out what's important to them. The problem with doing surveys is customers kind of don't. They don't necessarily know what it is that's irritating them. What's some insight or advice you can offer to ask better questions or kind of events to look for that might be a good opportunity to ask them if something went well? Well, I'm considered the customer service turnaround expert. So when I come to your company, I actually will mystery shop it myself and see how the process feels to me as a customer. And depending on the size of your operation, I may employ a few other, please don't everybody call me wanting to be hired to do this because it is really fun work, but I may hire a few extra people to do this with me and we will see how it feels to us. You can also, a really good thing to do is to start paying attention to the long form comments on your surveys. So because of the volume, many companies only pay attention to the numeric answers on their survey. Right. But great companies, one of the ones that is mentioned quite a bit in Ignore Your Customers and They'll Go Away, is Safe Light Autoglass. And when they started to really improve was when they started paying attention to what are called the verbatims, the long answers that provide some color, some texture at the end of a survey. And that's that's a great trick. And the smaller your business, the easier that is to do, actually. Michael, one of the other really interesting things among many that I, I found in your book was how companies can use social media as a way of providing great customer service. Can you expand on that? The thing about social customer service is you can't not do it, okay? You can't, companies have tried. You can't say, oh, we only answer phone calls or whatever it is. I mean, maybe if you were the Vermont Yankee store or something like that, but even they they don't have that policy, I don't think. But there might be some extremely retro business that can do this. But by and large, you need and you want to meet customers where they are. And one of the places they are is social media. So the first rule is to respond immediately. Internet time works much faster than time does in other sectors of our world. So I worked with a great theme park company a few years back, I think it was 2016. And in, at the start of my engagement for striving to improve their customer service, one of the things that I asked was to look at the standards they had set. And all of the standards seemed great to me. In fact, some of them were, were, were really smart. I mean, this is a very, very smart one. If you run a business in a physical environment, I would say you should consider this as well. It was just really brilliant. If you see guests there at the park and they're looking at a map, well, go up and help them. I don't care if you're the security guard or the landscaper, go up and help them. I mean, nobody knows how to read maps anymore, right? We're, we're more used to using GPS. So go up and help them because you do know where everything is. So I thought that was a brilliant standard that you're supposed to stop whatever you were doing unless it was security or 
safety related and go up and help them. So great standards like this. But this one jumped out at me as not being so great. And it was, we strive to answer any digital inquiries within 48 hours. So I kept a poker face and I said, oh, that's interesting. Within 48 hours, when was this standard set? And the person at the Great Park said, uh, oh, not too long ago, 2011. So I thought to myself, hmm, well, in 2011, 48 hours might, I mean, probably not, but might have been acceptable as a standard. But in 2016, when we were doing this work, 48 hours already felt like 36 years in internet time, right? 36 years. So, I mean, customers are like your, your new border collie, Bill. They, when you say you're going to take them on a walk, it can't be in a few hours. It just, that's just too painful. And they just really think you're never going to get back to them. So they're going to get more frustrated. So answer immediately. Try very hard not to be defensive. Do not threaten them with a lawsuit. And as quickly as you can, very politely strive to get them to take the conversation private by direct messaging, by there's some functionality you can get now where you can direct message even with someone who doesn't follow you on Twitter, which uh, within Twitter itself is not possible. So try to get it out of the public eye so that you can candidly interact without, you know, and the customer candidly can vent and so forth without it all being in the public eye. And one more thing, if you start to get negative re reviews and such, I get a lot of calls from my customers, usually my smaller customers, like a mom and pop restaurant or whatever. They get this one bad review and they say, Micah, I know it was the restaurant down the street. I know. And I'll look, I'll say, oh, that's terrible. And I'll look at it. And there are details there that you actually could not put into a review unless you had actually eaten there because really these complaints were valid. And I'll say, well, I got some bad news for you. This wasn't from your competitor. I wish it was. I mean, this was from someone who actually ate at your restaurant. So then we work on it. But that's my bad news for you. It's probably probably wasn't posted by a competitor. Obviously, there are exceptions, but by and large, it was an actual customer. Mikey, you've shared so many great ideas with us today on my quest for the best. I want to thank you so much for all that you've shared, starting with the quarterback from the Redskins that you looked up oh, to. Sonny Jurgensen. Sonny Jurgensen, because that whole idea of focusing on areas where you have your strengths and being able to work around them really does come through in delivering exceptional customer service. You've helped us with some great distinctions. You've told some great stories. You, you mentioned names of people. I'll be sure to say hi to Joanne Hassis. Oh, you should. She's in men's furnishings, which just means menswear. I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. And before we say goodbye for now, can you share with us where we can find out more about you and your work online? My website is easy only if you're good at spelling biblical names. So it's micasolomon.com. Micah Solomon, author of Ignore Your Customers and They'll Go Away, the simple playbook for delivering the ultimate customer service experience. I want to thank you again so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. 
When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.